Hi, everybody. It's Amalia. And today I have an incredible guest for my audience. She's my friend. She's my life coach and the author of two amazing books in one year, Contained in Love and Lady Balls. If you don't have it already, go ahead and get it. I'll drop the links below so that you can purchase it. It's available on Audible. It's available on Amazon. And if you don't mind, go ahead and put your hands together and welcome my coach, Mina Urfan. <laughs> I should have some drum rolls and music, Mina. <laughs> I feel like we, it's its already kind of like playing in the background when we're together. Yes. yes. Um, so I want to kick off with you sharing, how did you get here? Like, what was your journey like? Um, and I really want to dig into like, what was that before you became the life coach and the Mina or fan we knew today? Oh my goodness. Okay. So I never started off trying to be anyone's coach or anyone's mentor. I never saw myself as such. That was not the intention. I was a broken little girl, uh, mm. you know, born to immigrant parents in Chicago. Uh, mm. My parents were, you know, Pakistani and they had come here and they were hardworking, overgiving, people pleasing, no boundaries type of people. And my childhood was full of, um, studio or one bedroom apartments with roaches and rats uh, sexually molested by multiple people by the time I was a teenager feeling unseen unheard unsafe and just like I didn't belong my people my parents were kind people but they were they had no boundaries and mm -hmm. parents with no boundaries are unfortunately um, a, a, a target for predators. So my parents would see people that needed help and bring them into their home, which was a tiny apartment with, you know, the five of us. And then they would go off to work. And I was left at home with ba male babysitters or people my parents had taken in and they were basically molesting me. And so by the time I was a teenager, babe, I couldn't trust anyone. I couldn't trust my parents. I even like, good people that my parents would like try to help my thing would be like you know i had all this trauma of being molested mm -hmm. so by the time i was like 16 i already figured out that if i was going to survive i had to be on my own like mm -hmm. i felt like the only person i could trust with was myself mm -hmm. and so i went into like extreme masculine energy like fight or flight energy and I decided that in order to be safe, I had to get my education and like set myself up. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, through, I loved reading since I was a little girl, that was like my happy place. So I started just reading, uh, going to like, just focusing on my studies. I got my degree from Northwestern <laughs> University. And then unfortunately, you know, when you have trauma on your person, in your, in your being, you attract predators because they can read trauma on you. And so my first marriage ended because I ended up attracting a predator. He got his green card, stole money from me, cheated on me while I was pregnant. And then once he was, he got everything he wanted, it was, it was over. And so after my divorce, you know, I was left being a single mom and I started just reflecting on my life and seeing what ha had happened to me and and kind of just you know 
I was, I had my successful business at that time. And I was like taking care of my son, like on the outside, I was surviving, but inside I was just, I felt broken. I, I was asking, starting to ask God these questions of like, why me? Right? Like I had this awful childhood of just being all, all this abuse. And then finally I try to make something of myself. And then I attract this very predatory relationship. I chose, I mean, I chose this predatory relationship, part of my healing. I don't want to like lay blame on and, and, you know, not take responsibility for my part. And so I started doing some like just reflection on my life. Well, right when things start getting better, like I'm making money in my business, I had a real estate business, I'm finishing university, I'm raising my son, things are starting to come through. My mom gets diagnosed with cancer, stage four ovarian cancer, and she gets two months to live. So at that point, she was like, I really just want to see you settle down. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, babe, in my life at this time is that Everything I was studying at university about evolution, anthropology, how our like human nature, psychology was, I started reflecting on the fact that my original culture, like my parents' culture, still follows those principles and they have a very high success rate in relationships. And everything I used to value like the American like way of dating and like having a boyfriend girlfriend relationship and getting to choose your own partner. It started crumbling underneath my feet because I tried it that way and it miserably failed. And what I was learning at, at NU, I'm like, oh my God. So when my mom started saying, I really wanna, it's my last wish. You have to fulfill a dying woman's last wish to see you married and settled. I decided that I was going to do it the homo sapien way that mm -hmm. i was going to like let this be an experiment of doing it the way that religion evolutionary psychology pakistani culture like the way that we've always done it with my i threw in a couple of modern twists you, you know how i am but i did it the right way this time the way that we've always done it and i attracted a the kindest, most genuine, most authentic, most trustworthy partner on the planet. Amazing yes. father to not only my son from my previous marriage, but the two two kids we have together. So three total. Um, amazing father, amazing husband, my best friend. Like you know, like just just the rock solid mountain of a guy. And yeah. we've been happily married for fifteen years. Now I will say, Malia, that once I got married to him. He had me quit my business. Basically, he retired me at 28. He retired me. He's paying for everything, buys me a brand new car, car, ends me, adds me to all his bank accounts, hands me credit cards, and he's like, just live your life. Yes. You would think I would be the happiest person on the planet, okay? I was for about five seconds. And then I went into extreme self-sabotage. Why? Because as you just heard, for 28 years, I didn't know how to be happy. I... All I knew was trauma. All I knew was toxic people. All I knew was fight or flight. All I knew was shield yourself, protect yourself, do it all yourself. Do not trust anyone. So we started triggering each other and just, um, and this went on for like, 
eight or nine months until I was just like, what the hell is going on? Right? This is everything I wanted. I finally got it handed on a golden platter. And here I am sabotaging it. Mina, what's wrong with you? And that's where the real inner work started. So I'll pause right there in case you have questions, but that's my story in a nutshell. So they did extreme inner work at that point, trauma, healing, all of the stuff I teach. And through my own healing was able to heal some of the stuff my husband brought in the relationship because we all have our stuff, right? And over the years, we've just grown, grown stronger, more in love, more embodied, what Irfan calls robust, a robust relationship. That was his ultimate dream to have a robust relationship and accidentally started teaching it. I mean, I say accidentally because that was never the intention. People just started noticing and asking and insisting that I should be a life coach. And so here I am, the accidental author, life coach and all the things. Wow. I, I love what you shared about going to university and having the mental connection, but not the embodiment. Because, you know, the self-aware Barbie, which I was too, um, you think, oh, if I read enough books, I'll get the information. And you, But you pick up a very small percentage, but until that embodiment happens, that connection, that ability to transcend trauma doesn't happen and that is what led me to your intensives mm. and I, I want to transition to what that is it's we're in 2023 so whatever year you're looking at 2023 and i have been to every single intensive you had and i knew that i needed more than just what you were doing on youtube and the first one we did was um a miami um millionaires <laughs> yeah and, um we without realizing it we bonded over trauma because we were saying that when you're doing well for yourself everybody forgets to ask you how are you doing and you're like Bing. <laughs> <laughs> um but that night you activated something in me that led me to understanding the work i was meant to do in taking me deeper and for anybody who's never been to Mina's or fan, this is a very shameless vlog. There's an intensive coming up in January, January 17th. You have to be there. The way Mina gives generous about, about herself and her message is beyond anything. And I'll tell you this, something at every single intensive I experienced this year, everybody who um, met up before the event, they would say, what if she's not who we see on YouTube? That's like a fear. And I said, she said, you're right. She's not like what we see on YouTube. She's 10 times better. And I would follow up with them and they're like, no, you lied. It was 20. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, in addition to the teachings, we have private conversations with you. Like I said, you're generous with your time. And so if you have a question on your heart, you've never had a chance to ask it on YouTube. You want to be in the room with the community of women I've been to every intensive, connected with every single woman there. If I have a question, I was like, oh, this is her area of expertise, let me reach out. It is a community of like-minded women. When you were building your intensive, did you know like that was what was gonna happen or it just happened naturally? Babe, everything I've done, I feel like God tricked me into it. Like I'm the last one to find out about stuff like this. Like it just, 
happens. I just do what feels good to me. What I feel is the right thing to do. I always have good intentions. I always add God, ask God for guidance. And mm -hmm. then it just unfolds in a way. And I like, you know, I always say God tricks me into it. No, I just had a desire to do in-person events and I didn't know what that would look like. So for the first, I don't know if you know this, Amalia, but the first three in-person events were in my living room, in my home. Wow. You didn't know that? I know it was local to Houston, but I No, I, like I didn't, I, I've, I've never, the intention was never to start a business. It, it just happened to become a business on my way of just sharing my own journey. So in the beginning where I was just like, oh, this is so fun online, you know, and I had the YouTube channel since 2011, I didn't create my first course until 2017. So like I was just sharing, hey, this is what I'm going through in my marriage. This is what I'm going through in my health, like and just sharing it. So when I wanted, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to like, and here's how it happened. When I had about 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, I would go to Costco and like people would come up to us and say, oh my God, I follow you on YouTube. And I love that feeling of seeing someone in person. And so when I, uh, in 2018 is when I had my first in-person intensive and I did it in my living room. I, I needed you back in 2011. <laughs> but everything happens for a reason. So I know that you came, you came into each other's life. I, I probably was too triggered to even let my guard down to bond with you. So. <laughs> So life news, like, let's get your edges together. <laughs> and girl, I was a hot mess in 2011. My mom passed away in 2010. So, and then I had my baby six weeks later, my second son. So I was um, in postpartum de depression slash grieving. I started the YouTube channel to distract myself, to like meet other women. There was, there was never a business. It was always like trying to heal. <laughs> yes. And you've created one sisterhood that there are no words that can describe what what you you have done and what you mean to us. But I want to segue because I know your time is a little crunchy today. <laughs> so since starting your work, I took a break from dating uh, because you know I believed and tried to practice the Homo sapien way of dating, but I didn't know how to translate that in modern terms. And what you did was so incredible. And so I took a break from dating. And when I re-entered the market, I'm only attracting king providers and I don't know what to do. <laughs> and um, I'm on the verge of becoming an empty nester. So it's like, how do I even modernize what I initially wanted for my kids after the divorce and transitioning to that? So whichever of the two topics you want to pick apart, you, you want to pick up first, um, dating as an empty nester, or king providers which do you want to start with <laughs> so um which one do you want me to start with would you say which I, one is like the most important to you right now i would say dating king providers because they are the toughest for me to to understand um i love who they are in the world because i feel like no matter how well i do and that could be a limiting belief how well I do, there will never be a sense of intimidation because sometimes the intimidation doesn't even come from the person. It's everybody around them and what they say. So if everybody's accomplished, then you know, I'm just a puny fly on the wall. So what is that? But but 
on one side, they're great and they show up with provider energy in, in my experience right away, but they're used to being pursued. So a woman who has standards for herself may come across as, I guess, snobby. So understanding how dating a king provider is different to a romantic intellect. Ooh, okay. So with a king provider, the most important thing you need to understand is that they are already kind of set in what they're willing to provide and what they're not willing to provide. A younger man, like, and when I say younger, I mean like younger in consciousness age, not necessarily age age, right? is moldable a little bit right like you could you could still there's still a sense of like meta updating him a lot more right because he isn't as like grounded in who he is so i love king providers in the sense of like they already like know what they're willing to do and what they're not available for so for example if you meet a king provider man who's a minimalist you're not going to suddenly convince him to be fly flying private and like living in luxury unless he's like that's his version of minimalism so at least you know what you're getting so you're not gonna see this guy as potential like he you already see what he is right, right? and so so you know what you're getting yourself into i love that and they at this stage they're mentally relieved from this pressure to build something and they're just happy to provide and so there there's this sense of pride that they take in now every provider has a sense of pride internally but a younger provider can also feel burdened by that providing like it's like oh like can i do it is it enough but with the king it's like he's already kind of set in like you know what i'm willing to provide this is what i'm going to offer and i and i take pride in it so that's that's the positive now what you said about their their used to being pursued is exactly your winning point because they're used to having women throw themselves at them they don't value that they they see that as some it's it's the thing that like i'm surrounded because my husband's you know in, in his king providing stage and he's all his friends are too and so i'm surrounded and in even in the neighborhood i live in with these men and they make fun of these kind of women it's and they do it classy like they're not making fun of them in the sense like you know a younger guy playing the field would but there is this realm of like kind of like look how silly this is kind of aspect so a woman that's showing up super graceful and knowing her worth but her energy is open the difference is if i showed up with my energy closed and playing hard to get then i'm sending mixed messages and a king provider is not going to play games but if i'm showing up knowing in my worth having many options and you're one of them then he has something to move towards and he likes to pursue so grace and classiness and elegance is going to be super important in this stage versus that that young chasing energy they they find that ungraceful and and almost comical isn't okay so this is more of a personal question because this happened about three times um they would say um it'll be nice if you check in and make sure i'm good it's like they're inviting me to call or text but i know that's not what we do so how do you balance or a response for that so i would say 
show your care for them. This is really interesting because this comes up a lot. And the reason is, is because they, you know, in today's societies, they become uber aware of the fact that that they have a lot of options and a lot of women are just using them as kind of like a cake topper or like Mm -hmm. just to have the guy versus they want to provide, but they want to provide for the woman that genuinely also cares about them. So this care thing is like so massive for them. So little things go a long way. If you go to a, a party, a barbecue somewhere, make the plate for them. This doesn't mean you're cooking and cleaning and scrubbing their floors, but like make the floor. Uh, I'm sorry, make the plate or like um, you said you were you had a meeting. How did it go? You know, or um, today must have been a long day for you. How was it? So like little things to share that you care about him will go a really long way. So if he's openly saying this, he's. This is kind of like a little bit of a a wound for them that like, oh, I've been used before for like just, uh, you know, a lot of women these days just want to get married just to get married and not because they care about the man. So this is there. He's giving you really vital information. So, you know, for every three times he calls you, you know, text him. um, Oh, passing by our favorite restaurant thought about you like, you know, it doesn't have to be massive. It could just be little, but don't get into like, you know, those random low value texts of like, good morning, every morning, good evening. Yeah. Like, you know, that's like the player's field, you know, but right. just showing that you care about him as a human being, which, you know, you do because you're just, yeah. you're, I just know how you are. You care about mm-hmm. everyone. So yeah. just, just show, seeing the human being behind the, the role of the provider. Got it. The vetting is the vetting the same for a king provider or king elder as it is for everybody else. Because um, one of the times I brought up in a conversation that, you know, families vet, he's like, what is the process of? And he's like, what? And, and so it was like alarming. And especially because my family's not in America. It's like, it's, it's that same process in place, no matter the level of the man. So I, wedding is best done for, from the girl's family, like a, another male, like, right? So when we have clients that they have to do it, you have to thread a little bit lightly because, mm-hmm. because a lot of men these days are afraid of being used and all of the stuff that wasn't a thing back in the day because the family units were involved. And so uh, sometimes it could be when things are progressing, like he's proposing, you know, it could look like two people coming together and saying, well, what are your responsibilities? Let me give you an example. Oh my God, this is such a great example. So my husband's cousin just got married and I met her in another wedding in a family wedding in September. And we had like four weddings this year, a family wedding. So in September I met her and I was like, girl, what are we doing? Like, what's happening? Right? So she's been divorced for like couple of decades she's in her 40s her son is 25 he's grown he's mature he's doing well in life so i was like what are we doing like what's up and she's like um she's like i'm thinking about it but like i'm like well thinking about it serious like let's do the process like are we rotational dating what's happening we had this conversation in september last week of november we got a call 
uh, what are you guys doing next week? And we're like, what's up? Well, I'm getting married. So in September to like December, like second, like two weeks, she got married, right? So what she started was just rotational dating, like, you, you know, putting herself out there. Um, you know, there are certain websites for niche groups, like religions or cultures. And so she was in there, she meets these men. And then this guy comes and starts showing interest. They're talking on the phone. He's divorced. She's divorced. She's got, he's got a kid from a previous marriage. She's her kid is grown. And so he's like, um, the second meeting, he's like, uh, Hey, uh, I want to be with you. What's, what's the protocol? What are we doing? Like, what do we do? Right. He's like asking her. So she's like, okay, well in my family, you know, this is how we do it. And it's the same culture. So he knows he's like, okay. So he calls his brother, the brother comes with his wife, meets her, meets the parents. And then he's like, okay, like, let's set the stage. She's like, well, we haven't had a financial talk. Right. And so, and even though the family was had already vetted him, he found out we were vetting him because there was a mutual connection and we asked them and then they told him. So that was kind of awkward, but, but he actually appreciated it. He was like, I, cause they, you don't want, you never want to look like I'm just available free. No one cares about me. Just take me. Like, he's like, Oh God, like they're, they're vetting me out. Right. This, this woman mm -hmm. is someone. So she sat him down and she said, I have, a job I've been working for, you know, 20 years, I raised my son, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. And mm -hmm. he's like, say no more, uh, you can quit your job. And uh, you I will provide for you everything. And um, is your car paid off? And she said it is he's like, well, we'll ship your car, you have your car, I'll pay for everything else. And uh, so the next week, they set their wedding date, and they got married. This was the December 3rd, I think, second or third of this. So like it's it was that easy. Right. So it's just she he said, I want to be with you. And then she stated her requirements. There was no like chasing him. There was no like, I love you so much. So I'm just going to bypass everything. She was like, oh, you want to be with me? Here's what we do. She just set the standard. Right. Yeah. And so uh, if he had said, well, well, no, no, I need you to work, then that's something she has to decide then because she has other options. She was dating other men as well. So she can, she has to decide. I mean, she's, she paid her dues. She worked, raised her kid by herself. Like she's done. I, I, I want to say when you said she has options, she's dating other men. We're talking about rotational dating, which is different to sleeping with everybody in your roster. It's getting to know, you know, those first getting to know you stages because that too also, you know, can start something, but I'm not the one they should come for. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, you, we, in my world, we don't sleep. We don't give a man our sexual energy before marriage because that's right. sacred and that alters our DNA. We know this. It alters our hormones. It pulls a fil filter on us. And the fact is the minute he said, I want to be with you, you know, well, why a man would never say that to a woman who he had access to sleeping with because he's already being with you. Right. right? The, so for her, the only option to be with her is to be to come with my hand in marriage to my family and mm -hmm. her parents are older. And so her brother in law, who's a neurosurgeon provider for her sister, took the lead in like questioning him, you know, asking him questions. So he was kind of the one giving her hand in marriage to this guy. And so now he has an equal peer that he has to talk to and work through. And so she set her requirements and he wanted her. So he took her off the market. So that's, 
that's how you take someone off the dating market. You marry them. I, I also want to say, because this is something to I use in my personal life, there's an opportunity cost. If somebody says, I want to date you, you leave the market for five years, and then they're like, this is not working out. You've lost five years of opportunity. So let's not just say that it's the sexual part. You're now older. The pool is smaller. Like you are risking not having the person you want to spend the rest of your life with because you waited five years too long and he gets to go out and date somebody younger. So there's the sexual part, but there's the opportunity cost. Like, is this something you're willing to say five years in, if it doesn't work out, I'm okay with that. No, sorry. No, you know, I want the love. I want the relationship. So something else about dating, um, side sideline, um, dating over. So not every culture, may date um, or take you off the market as quickly. Because in one of the courses, you had said that date over a longer period of time, if you can't do the background checks quickly. What is what is your thoughts on that? Okay, so men know, okay, so when a man in any, when the male in any species, so we're going beyond even homo sapiens, is yeah. choosing a partner, like attracted towards whatever the female brings she's she's wearing it on her person so right any so like think of a you know 22 year old woman her youth her fertility her the quality of her hair her skin like she's wearing it all on her he knows within a split second whether he's attracted to her or not and his dna has subconsciously calculated the uh the the mate potential so the his dna he already can see that on you what mm -hmm. the male brings to the table requires a little bit more investigation now than it used to in the homo sapien ways because back in the day we lived in small tribes there were no airplanes there were no ships there we just got married within a certain radius of our actual tribe and typically we married into tribes where we had reciprocal relationships so let's say that uh we my tribe has a lot of hunters more male hunters and their tribe has more gatherers because the males got killed or something and so we have a reciprocal relationship between the two tribes that they give us all these roots for like meat, like we exchange things with them. And because we have this friendly reciprocal relationship with the tribes, one of the things we do is we, ma we marry into each other's tribes. Well, I don't really have to investigate, like the men in my tribe won't have to investigate their tribe a lot because we have three generations of a relationship with them, of trading things with them. Does that make sense? So when a baby was born, they would already decide, oh, so-and-so has a son and we have this great relationship with them to continue bartering with them. We're going to marry those two people together. There's no investigation because it's we just know them, mm -hmm. right? And so in my culture, it's fairly easy to investigate people because it's just a smaller culture and you like there's always it's so interesting that there's always connections there one of my husband's cousins got married earlier in april and the husband's the the guy's father's cousin is related to 
Irfan's sister's husband, someone. So it's so it, there's always like some kind of way. And so then when you start talking, it's like, oh yeah, that's a really great family. They, you know, they have they're really educated. They're really kind. They like you. It's just very easy to investigate. And then um, so that marriage got like date got set in a, a week. Because it was very easy to investigate the family. Now, let me give you my example. When I met my husband, we actually didn't have any connection. Like that, we couldn't. There was no actual way other than they're Pakistani and we're Pakistani. That's it. But we don't know anyone mutual. So what what my dad did is he asked my husband for proof that he is who he says he is. So my husband's father is a well written author in my country. So that was one way of verifying who he is. And secondly, he brought all his bank statements, his passport, his uh, house deed, his house papers, and he showed his 401k, his tax returns for the last 10 years. And um, he had only had two jobs in the last 20 years. And that was a lot for my dad too. He's like, wow, he's like really loyal to the companies he works for. And so he brought all that documentation. And my dad was able to verify that this man is this guy's son, who's this guy, his PhD, right? He's well written in my country. And he owns a house, he owns a car, he has this much in his 401k. And so, so we didn't we did it that way and my husband proposed in two weeks we were married in two months right but for a woman that met a guy on a website and they because in the us let's say and there's no verification process then yeah you would have to date him i would still not become a girlfriend no status no titles girlfriend yeah. is not a status okay so it's not a title not in any religion not a legal status nowhere right Absolutely. so you you might need a year to investigate this guy because you don't have any family connections you there's no other way of verifying him so if the guy came through a mutual friend or somewhere where you can verify him vet him and men like this so i asked my husband later what did he think that my dad asked him for all these personal documents right and he's like i already knew that i wanted to marry you the minute i laid eyes on you but he's like your value in my eyes just skyrocketed because he's like now i know that you're from a good family where even though you're divorced you have a kid they're not just gonna be like here just any guy just take him like you have value in your family like the people are willing to you know vet for you so in traditionally scientifically i should say men take about a few seconds to know if they're going to marry you or not because everything you bring to the table you're wearing on your person women it takes longer to vet so the the hold up is from the woman's side investigating the guy however long that takes i love that I'll tell you something funny about what you say, like doing the investigation um, in connecting with people. I ended, ended up meeting people who from my island, Tobago, and I called home and my family knew every single person. And there was this one guy, he didn't have a green card. My family found, found that out. He owed a bunch of debt and they're like, give us his number. We want the people who he owes money to want to get with him. So it's literally that kind of community where even if we don't know someone, we can know someone who knows someone 
who can get in touch and and but you don't have that in america and that was i think one of the struggles of my first marriage there's no way to verify you're taking people at their word so for what you've done i can't tell you now but dating as an empty nester and you've given us great examples of that from your husband's um cousin but how does that look differently like I want to be able to kiss my, I'm all my kids have in America. So to say choosing somebody and it doesn't matter if my kids like them, to me, that's a little tough because they don't have anybody else. How do you date differently as an empty nester, making yourself a priority? And I guess to some degree, family a priority or the blended family. So I would say like, you're already doing your inner work right so when you're doing your inner work you're having open honest com conversations with your children at every age you know i do this with even my younger children my oldest is an adult now but my younger ones are 13 and almost 10 and i have very open rela relationship with them age appropriate of course but like i share things so you discuss things with them of like and then you also state your boundaries right like with your children you might say hey you know i'm you know i want to i'm dating i want to get married your opinion is important to me you know however sometimes you know uh we can feel some kind of way when our parent is getting married and so these are the areas where i'm open to your feedback and um you know somewhere some parts i might push back a little bit and question things that you're saying i think it is important i don't know babe if you have watched the dirty john series on netflix um, Irfan and I love that series. I hope it's still on there. We watched it years ago, but it, it was based on a real life story of the scammer guy that was, he was married like over 30 times to all these women in different states and scamming them. And he would just move states. So like the records, his police records and everything didn't transfer easily. And the thing that we couldn't help but notice in the documentary, and then even when they showed at the end, the interview with the real people is that the kids kept telling her mom, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. And she was just taking it as, and these are adult children that they're being jealous, mm -hmm. but no, they weren't. They were just saying, Hey, you just believed he's a doctor. You never called the hospital. Like they were just kind of, so I do think it's important to take your family's feedback, but then if you have that kind of relationship, because if it's a toxic relationship and they're going to sabotage everything, then it doesn't make sense. So I would say feedback within boundaries okay wow. right right like for example if my family was like oh you know your husband's ugly or too tall or something like that that that's 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 within boundaries right like if they're like babe you know he said that he does this but he doesn't make this money according to this that's something to take seriously like oh could that be a red flag right so i would say feedback with boundaries healthy boundaries is useful wow and um how soon would you um, introduce the kids when the proposal is is in place? Like when do you when when do you introduce the kids to the partner? So I think this is so this is so fun because your kids are adults, right? They're or they're older, and so when they're younger, of course, I would only introduce after the proposal. It's it's different, but with uh, older adults, I would say if you are starting to see him already as a front runner, and if he he says, "Hey, you know, I'd like to meet the kids," not yeah. I would say not like, you know, the first couple of dates. But yeah. if it starts getting serious, because at this point, yes, these are your children, but they're also family members and they're your friends, 
right? Yeah. And I know you have that friendship with your children. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different. Like you could meet at a restaurant for dinner or, you know, you could um, go to dinner and then, you know, uh, meet them somewhere for a quick dessert just to get a vibe check. Wow. Like a quick vibe check. And um, and then, you you know, afterwards, we we always have we have this thing with Irfan's family. Like there's always a debriefing every time we meet someone new. It's like meet us in the lobby for the debriefing party. And we're always like, hey, what do you guys think? Like, you know, a vibe check. So, you know, you just, hey, what did you think? You know, I had this with Irfan where he went to uh, there. Uh, there was my my one of my friend's sister was like my kind of mentor at the, during this process. And she had the kind of marriage I wanted. And she was older mm -hmm. than me and happily married and and uh, also for my culture. So I took Irfan for a vibe check after dinner. Uh, I took him to their house for dessert. They said, bring him over for some chai and dessert. And mm -hmm. um, so, Irfan, so you know, me and, you know, her like we're kind of in the kitchen and her husband's like kind of like, hey, what do you do for fun? And they're talking about stuff. And then when he left, I was like, okay, like, what's like vibe check, right? Like, what's up? And he was like, uh, he was like, no, I like him. I like him. He was on his best behavior, like everyone usually is. I was too, right? He's joking. He's like, no, but from the first impression, I like him. I like him. So, like, that's important because men can see predators, predatory behavior in men way better than women can. It's just an evolutionary thing. We are, yeah. women can notice things in other women. But mm -hmm. with other men, it's you need a man, a man's opinion. Wow, I'll, I'll tell you something interesting um, about you said spotting, and it reminded me of this. Before I started doing your work, sometimes I would go out in my dates would feel like other men overstep their boundaries because we would be at the restaurant and people would pay for our meals. I've never had that happen since uh, King Provider. My son now he's almost six, four, like six, three and a half. And I go out with him and people think he's the one taking care of me. And I was like, he has that very masculine energy. Like where, where men are, I was like, he's a kid, but people, I, I'm treated differently. So like when, I guess the other men felt something energetically and I shared that with, with my son. I was like, I have never been with, I mean, since until I started dating King Elders, I've never had that level of respect where his presence changes the room. <laughs> so like yes. saying, we, I really love that. So I, I, I thought about something as you were talking, um, where you talked about predator, like men can spot predators. Sometimes in King Providers, you could tell that someone activated a predator in him. So he'll go back and forth between being a, a provider and thinking of one, one date. Like, uh, I Uber everywhere. So he said, when we go on dates, he sends Ubers and he started out with luxury Ubers. Like that wasn't something, normally I'm used to mid-tiers, luxury right from the start, black cars, like black car Uber, I, I meant to say. And then if we go too long between dates, when he shows up, he starts predator language. Like in America, a woman has so much freedom, she can sleep with whoever she wants, da, da, da. And then he'll take me to an area he wants to live. Would you mind living here? And you see the tenderness and he goes back and forth. It, it didn't come off predatory. It was like, is this good enough for you? But then you could tell that when he goes out on other dates, he's being triggered by independence woman. How do you 
pull out the gut level response for a guy who's battling with what the market has and who he provider is. <laughs> so uh, this is so interesting. So what I would do in this scenario is um, in these scenarios, start stating your values. So I think a lot of men these days are so confused and they're scared of speaking up because you don't know what feminist, what type of woman is going to get triggered by what thing. They're confused by all these random media messages and conflicting hot and cold from women. So uh, when anytime there is an opportunity, you say, oh, I, I you know. I would never do that to a man that would make him, you know, so emasculated. So these are times to go further deep into your femininity. And so and then like make it okay. I had this happen years ago. Oh my god. I uh, had this guy reach out trying to get my business for my YouTube channel. Like I don't know what it was. He was trying to make banners or something. And so he was like offering me this free consult. And he comes on and he's like, oh, I love what you're doing for women. And, you know, I'm all about the feminism. And I was like, I am not about the feminism. I'm actually, some people would say I'm like walk, talking against feminism. And he's like, oh, right, right. And then he totally changed his tone and got comfortable with what he really wanted to say, you know. Right. But he was like trying to get my business by playing in this role. But that's not really yeah. how men think. Yes. Right. He was trying to be politically correct. But the rest of our conversation, he wasn't politically correct. He was just himself. Absolutely. So when they're trying to gauge you, show them mm. who you are. Mm. I love that. I love that. The um I'm thinking, I don't know why voice activation as uh as a course popped into my mind. Is is that also, I guess, playing in the voice of when you're stating in your desire? I can't believe you brought that up today because that that topic has been on my freaking mind lately so much. Oh, oh my, my god. god. I was literally thinking about doing a YouTube video on that topic after this live. <laughs> okay. So I'll say a little bit because you can just you can watch that, but I could talk to you for hours. And I'll, and I'll pin the link to it below so that you guys can see the video I'm talking so, about. <laughs> oh my god. So I noticed that when I started doing my like, so I went through different layers of inner work, you know this, right? Just for your audience, because at, you know, cause inner work happens in layers. I had a lot of trauma you guys heard, right? So I had to go through all these layers. And I noticed that the more inner work I was doing, the more certain things were changing. So I went from someone that felt invisible in a room full of men. Like I would always feel like mm -hmm. either invisible or like one of the guys, one of the boys. I always had a lot of guy friends, like, you know, and it was just like, what the hell, right? I was just mm -hmm. like, why am I not being treated like a woman, right? Like a lady. And so because I was showing up in my masculine energy, but when I started doing my healing work, I started returning back to how I authentically am. And all of a sudden, it was like, it felt like it was overnight. It was a process, but to me, it felt like overnight where I was like going places. And like all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, people were opening doors for me and I was getting free desserts and I was getting people letting me cut in front of them in the line and all of yeah. these compliments. And it was, at first, it was like, who me? Like, right? Like, it was this awkward. And then, my son who's he, my son 
you know, you can take this as a positive or negative. Sometimes I'm like, oh, our man, my oldest one, who's like seen me through all of my different yeah. things, ups and downs, sort of saying, why are you talking like that? Right. And I said, and he was little, right? He was like eight, nine. And I was like, talking like what? He's like, like that. And mm-hmm. I said, like what? He's like, your voice. I said, what about my voice? He said, your voice changed. And I said, it did? No, mm-hmm. he's like, it did. Like he's <laughs> the kid that will like not let it go. And so I yeah. let it go. And then I would be talking to my husband and be like, see, see, you just did that. I'm like, I did what? He's like, you just changed your voice. So yeah. for like weeks, he's following me around saying, uh-oh, you're using your old voice now. And then, oh, you, you, you're just, and I'm like annoyed as hell. And then yeah. I started noticing it in other people. I started yeah. noticing self-aware Barbies have this voice where it's almost like, for lack of a better way to explain it, like a frog in their throat. Yeah. Oh my God, this is why this has been on my mind. So I last week binge watched um, Paris and Love, Paris Hilton's show on Peacock. It's two seasons, binge watch it if you haven't. And then right after that, right now I'm on episode six of the Kardashian show on Hulu, the new version of it. And I love Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian. Both of them have the frog voice. And in Paris in Love, where she's talking to the therapist and going through her healing journey, you literally see her voice change. And so trauma has this way of altering the female voice it's you know this is gonna sound so so weird i hope no one's gonna be offended god forgive me if this is gonna offend anyone but i have to say it i've noticed this i hope this is gonna not be too controversial for youtube but i've noticed let's say that this is a male voice and this is a like let's say this is a female voice and this is a male voice okay i'm just making this up but let's just say okay when someone, let's say a man is going through a transition and becoming a woman and he starts taking hormones, his voice will become somewhere over here. Mm-hmm. It's not quite a female voice, but it's not a male voice either. When mm-hmm. a woman goes through trauma and she's in herself or a Barbie. Wow. And that's what I'm noticing because it, a few times when yeah, I was listening to Paris, Paris in Love and Kim Kardashian, I looked away. And I'm like, if I wasn't looking at them, I would think this is someone going through a transition. And I've noticed this repeatedly on YouTube when I'm listening to channels, if people like channels will pop up, I immediately can listen and tell you if there's trauma in someone's voice. So trauma alters our voice and Mm -hmm. the feminine embodied voice that's healed and whole, it's very soothing to children and men. So in in the male psyche the female's voice activates the same area of the male brain you've heard me talk about this in my courses as music does so when a healed woman a feminine woman is speaking the music uh the voice sounds like music in a guy's brain same as children too when there's trauma and the voice has been altered it sounds very raspy it sounds like there's a frog in the throat now you can't i'm sorry i ruined you for life you're not going to be able to unknow this now <laughs> like sorry <laughs> or, or you're welcome yeah. i don't know which one yeah. because i hear it all the time i mentioned to this to my husband years ago and he said he can't un unhear it now yeah 
I saw it in myself. I saw I have I have voice recordings and I've had a lot of trauma. And you listen to the person I was, and I lo- sound like an old smoker. <laughs> that's it. That, that's younger, yes. And so I know exactly what you're saying, but I didn't realize um, that, you know, the registration of a female voice. In the, so teach us, baby. <laughs> okay. So when you know you're healed, so for example, if I'm healed and whole and I say the same statement to you. Okay, let's say you're you're a guy and I'm and I'm like, oh, that doesn't work for me. Um, no, I'd like the I'd like the black car service again, please. Like I'm he's gonna take that as playfulness and like, oh yes, your wish is my command. Now I can't do the voice, but let's say I'm a self-aware Barbie, I've got trauma and I've got that frog in my throat kind of a voice. I could say the same exact thing. But his nervous system is going to take that as a criticism, as like, you're not good enough, you're not man, like the same statement, because the harmonics have changed of the voice. So this is why I don't like shortcuts. I don't like uh, sweeping things under the rug, because maybe you can use my work as some kind of a weird trick or formula but the minute you get married you're gonna be back in and you're gonna be sabotaging the thing anyways so you might as well heal and don't you want to use your best voice because remember our voice is is altering us as well so if my voice is is coming from a place of trauma and is disassociated with the rest of me that's not gonna feel good to me either right right the the, the there's something I want to add here as you're talking that um, about there's no shortcut to the work. Recently, I unlocked a new level of manifestation and trauma. I had resolved already. Like the first thing I have that happened is I kept dreaming my kids ten years younger and things that never happened. And we were homeless and on the street, and I was knocking on. And I was like, what is going on? And I remembered an exercise you did in. Uh, I, I, I put it into practice and then a new dream came up. And then I realized, even though I had advanced and these things weren't active in my mind, the trauma that I was reliving the experiences. And I said, had I unlocked the level of manifestation I did and not done this in a work, I literally, I used to struggle with bouts of depression and struggles with suicide and I couldn't tell why. And it was this time I was able to in, um, to identify it quickly and within a mad, matter of weeks. When I, I was went back to journaling yesterday and then I realized that, I said, that was the last time I, I didn't realize I started missing journaling dates. I was able to recognize from patterns that it showed up before I was able to check it, but now I know what, what I'm looking for. And when you say there is no shortcuts to the work and you don't know how trauma is ingrained in your dna because that's literally when and we had that coaching call and before i realized it i was okay again and i was like had i not done that inner work it wouldn't have prepared me for the level i got to and when it showed up i would have sabotaged and gone back but i was able to work through that and now i'm looking for my next level so when mina says there's no shortcut to the work <laughs> In, in my country, we say shortcut breaks will break your foot because you don't know what's there. Go to go on a paved path. 
So are there any closing words you have? I know you have another engagement to get to. Is there anything you'd like to part the audience with beside meeting you in Houston on the 17th of January? Shameless plug, and I'll put the link below in the in the in the audience. Just I would say if you want to know my full story and like the the hard-earned lessons, I would say get the Lady Balls book. I feel like that's like the easiest way to the funny thing is that that anyone that's interacted with this book i mean even the the editors we hired like anyone that has interacted with it, the cover designer and is like oh my god this book is so good and i'm sure they read a lot of books and engage with a lot of books they're like oh i use that principle in my life the the next day after reading it i needed to set this boundary i needed to do this and the way that i teach things even my boundaries and everything are not cookie cutter they're not like everyone else's where you have to sit people down and have conversations so i would say get the book uh, it's a, it's a really easy way to start the inner work process and at least start becoming aware of which stage you're in, you know, which yes. of the four consciousness stages and start that process. Listen, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever cards you've been dealt with, you are here to create something magnificent, like beautiful, amazing. And we all get different cards. Like my mom used to say that your job your isn't job to find the perfect set of cards it's to play the best hand that you can with what you've been given and through in our work i promise you you can unlock a reality that you've never even imagined right now absolutely and on that we're out <laughs> bye everybody bye. <laughs>